Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Sarah Wegman, and I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Miriam Glaze, Olympic synchronized swimmer and founder of Athlete Soul to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. Miriam brings a unique international perspective as she has lived, competed, and worked in several countries. After competing for the French synchronized swimming team at the Sydney Olympics, she retired from synchronized swimming to attend business school. Miriam worked for Accor Hotels in marketing and sponsorship in France, Thailand, and Australia, and eventually resumed her sporting career to compete for the Australian national synchronized swimming team in the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. Following her second retirement, Miriam combined her business and sport knowledge to return to sport and worked in high performance and sport management in England and the U.S. for several years before she founded Athlete Soul, a nonprofit that supports athletes as they transition out of sports and raises awareness about the challenges of athletic retirement. Miriam, thank you for being on the podcast. Sarah, thank you for having me. On the Power Chat podcast, we talk about sports, leadership, and careers. So I'd like to start at the beginning of your long and interesting sports and leadership career. Um, How did you get into synchronized swimming? Uh, I actually saw synchronized swimming on TV. So in France, the sport is pretty well known. um, And most of the competition are broadcast on TV, especially when they're European championship or Olympic games or or world championship. So I saw a European championship competition on on television um, as a six-year-old. And I told my mom, that's what I wanted to do. And so did you start with swimming or did you just go right into synchronized swimming? And was that available for kids your age? How, How did you like start to build your skills? I went straight into synchronized swimming. Um, I was a pretty good swimmer growing up and I had a, a passion for the water. Um, I did not come from a family of, of swimmer or anybody in the aquatic world, really. Um, my family is more into skiing and mountain sport. Um, I grew up doing a lot of skiing um, and I was doing a fair bit of running as well. So I came from land-based sport, really where most of the synchronized swimmer at that time were coming from being swimmers and then had moved into synchronized swimming. So I had a, a little bit of a different background. Okay. Well, you obviously like took to it really quickly because it sounds like you competed in age group national championships from when you were 10 years old and on and participated on the youth national team every year after that. At 15, you moved to the National Training Center in Paris to train for the Junior World Championships. Then you made the senior national team and participated in many different international competitions, winning the silver and bronze medals in the European Championships and Cups and placing in the top five at World Championships and fourth at the 2000 Olympic Games. So what was it like dedicating yourself to, you know, competing at such a high level at such a young age? How did that impact the way that you grew up and, and, and how that evolved? It impacted me on multiple level, I think, from early on. Um, the first thing is I was pretty committed to the sport very, very early on, obviously, um, but I wanted it. And um, so my parents were 
really supportive and just said yes, basically, as you know, the demo of, of training practices increased. Um, they continued to take me to the pool. They continued to take me to training camps and competition on the, on the weekends. Um, so in that, in that way, they're very, very helpful and supportive. And there wasn't really any, um, anything to stop me, I guess, um, early on. Um, and then it, it impacts, you know, your family life pretty quickly once you're training so intensely and traveling for competition, international competition um, over the summertime. So I know that I didn't spend as much time uh, visiting family, especially over the summertime. Uh, perhaps my summers were different than kids of my age. Um, I also changed school uh, early on to go to a school that allowed me to finish uh, studying early in the day so that we could have more practices. Um, and then at, at a young age, I, I moved cities to go to Paris and train at the National Training Center. Um, but at that point, you're sort of on that path and, and you've been on it for quite a while. So you know what to expect and you know that's the next natural step to get to the highest level. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely involves decision to commit to that lifestyle and not do other things that perhaps other other kids have done. Um, I never saw it that way because this is what I wanted to do and I was pretty clear about it. So I never saw it as a sacrifice or even as a choice because I knew this was the path to get to, to the highest level. Right. And so how do you think competing at such a high level at such a young age shaped who you are and who you've become? Uh, <laughs> um, it definitely impacted me with hard work, making decision to um, commit to a certain goal and putting in the time and the work to reach that goal. Um, it forced me to learn how to manage other aspects of my life so that they would also support my goals. So, you know, you have to learn to be organized with school, manage your time well, uh, find ways to fit in your homework in, you know, in different places while you're traveling, while you're getting to the pool, uh, find ways to recover what you've lost if you've traveled to a competition and missed um, a lecture or an exam, uh, be proactive. So I think it forces you to mature pretty quickly from a work perspective. Um, and I think those skills are very transferable in the business world uh, where you have to, you know, do all those things of, of planning, of setting goals, of putting strategies together to reach your goal. Some of it is you know, you have help for, your coaches will help you put the strategy together, but the coordination of your personal life, your work life, or your, your education and your, your training is not something that your coach does. It's something that you do yourself. Um, and I think that's really important skills for any athlete that wants to get to the highest level. And that's also something that you need in the workplace.
Right. And so you retired the first time um, from the French national team to go to business school. So you'd been competing so hard at such a high level. How did your path veer towards business school? What was that decision like? And how was it um, to retire after the first time? So I continued to go to school throughout my whole uh, career as an athlete. Um, I you know, first at high school level and then uh, undergrad, um, I was always preparing to try to go to business school. So the way the system is set up in France, you uh, take an undergrad uh, degree and then you go through exams. And based on the result of your exams, you are placed in uh, uh, ranked in different schools. Um, so you really want to do well at the exam so that you can get into the best schools. Um, so I always wanted to do that. Um, and I was hoping I would get into one of the schools that offered some flexibilities for athletes. Um, and I got into that school and they were very generous in offering flexible schedule so that I could continue my training at the same time as going to school. This is not something that my federation was willing to accept. Uh, and so at that time, they actually asked me to choose between school and sport. Um, so I ended up going to school and leaving the sport, not in my own terms, obviously. Um, and, you know, it was a, a pretty difficult experience at that point, but I, it was a great decision for me uh, in hindsight. I can't say that at the time I couldn't. Uh, it was a great decision for me because I had other experiences. Um, I was able to pour all of that extra energy that you have as a retiring athlete into um, the school um, and take full advantage of that opportunity. Right. Well, it's really interesting because I, I also went to business school. I went to Kellogg um, at Northwestern here in the U.S. And I remember in my class, there were a lot of former athletes, a lot of pro football players, pro basketball players um, that were part of the group. Because I think, you know, that those skills really translate well from athletics to business. Did you find that? Did you feel like some of the things that you had learned um, as an athlete translated when you were in business school? Absolutely. Uh, I thought there was a lot of skills that applied, um, especially in some of, I guess, the more um, sport-related area like communication and marketing, things that perhaps you employ on a regular basis as an athlete, uh, but definitely strategy, time management, ability to uh, react quickly and, and think quickly, um, or even in my negotiation course, I thought that was a, a pretty relevant. Um, but what, I, what was interesting for me, especially in the system in France, you go to business school, not necessarily with some work experience uh, with you. So a lot of the students come directly from undergrad rather than a professional career. And so they have no professional experience where I felt that I was very well placed, very well positioned for business school because I felt that my sport was my professional experience. Um, so in that way, I fell a little bit ahead of, of some of the other students. Well, one, first of all, I was a little bit older, <laughs> but also I felt ahead because I felt I had more life experiences than perhaps they had. 
Right. Because I, and I don't know how it is in France, but here in the U S so much of, of business school is developing as a leader. And so I think all those experiences that you have as an athlete lend themselves really well to that leadership development. And you, you definitely bring that, um, to that environment. So I want to talk a little bit about after business school, you went, um, and worked for a core hotels. Can you tell me about the process of that transition and, um, kind of what, what led you to that path and, and what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, was looking for a company because I wanted to do, they offer this option at my schools where you could do an apprentice program, which means you could be working for a company at the same time as taking your, your business school. And so I was looking for a company that would be willing to sponsor me for that program. And Accor uh, were the first one to came, come back with an offer to work in the communication department, which was really exciting for me because I was hoping to work in the hospitality or tourism industry um, after I graduated. But also they were offering, they were a sponsor of multiple sports and multiple activities. So working in the communication department allowed me to see the other side of, of sport. Um, so that was, I was very lucky to be able to work for them. And in the years where I worked for them and attended school at the same time, we had projects such as uh, the bid for the 2012 Olympic Games against London. That was really exciting. Uh, we were sponsor of the, the, the World Track and Field Championship, um, golf, the French Olympic Committee. Um, so I was able to see what happened on the other side and not on the athletics on the athlete side so that was fantastic I worked with people that I used to see as an athlete now I was sitting them you know across the table on the sponsor side so that was really interesting yeah it sounds really interesting okay so I have to ask you when I was reading your background and I read that you then competed for the Australian national synchronized swimming team. I was like, wait, how did that work? So tell us how you got back into synchronized swimming and then how you were competing for an entirely different country. Yeah. So I, when I graduated from school, I was uh, hired by Accor and I moved to Australia to work for them uh, in Sydney. And, you know, being in a new country, trying to develop a, a social network, um, I reached out to the uh, Synchronized Swimming Federation down there and um, I wanted to coach. I wanted to coach a club in Sydney and that wasn't available. There was no club in Sydney at the time, but they invited me to come to their national championship and I ended up coming and participating as an athlete. Uh, wow. I hadn't swum for many years, <laughs> and, but I was able to compete in their event. And um, I ended up winning the solo event. Wow, that's so, amazing that you could dive right back into that. <laughs> the Australia, uh, the level of the team was a little bit lower um, than the one in France. So I, it allowed me uh, to place well. And after that, they contacted me and asked if I wanted to compete for them in to be honest, in, at the beginning, I thought, no way. <laughs> um, I've been out of the sport for three years. I have a full-time job. I have all the interests now. I'm not really, I don't really want to go back. 
but my company was extremely supportive and they literally offered to sponsor me while I was training to keep my job uh, in the same position uh, to be able to have some time off so I could go and train and compete uh, in exchange for uh, support within the company. You know, I, would, I did participate in some event talking about my experience. Um, they wrote about what I was doing. Um, I did so also some synchronized swimming shows in some of the hotels. Um, so they were so supportive that, that, you know, I sort of couldn't turn down that opportunity. And I ended up um, becoming an Australian citizen and competing for Australia in Beijing. Wow, amazing. And did it, you know, because it sounds like the first time you retired, you kind of had to make a choice and didn't have that support to do both. So did it feel like a better end to your synchronized swimming career to have more control and have that second chance? Absolutely. And, and I think that's what helped me go back. That was, you know, part of the decision was, okay, well, I've had this pretty negative ending in the first place that I didn't choose. Now I have this opportunity to go back um, and make the most out of it. And it doesn't really matter what happened in terms of result. I just want to enjoy it. I want to learn from new coaches. I want to learn from a new team and literally savor, you know, every single instant. Um, So I think that's what made me want to go back is this ability to just change the narrative for the end of my career. Absolutely. And so now you are founder and leader of Athlete Soul and Athlete Soul helps athletes in that transition from sports to career and navigating that. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what led you to start Athlete Soul and, and what, what your focus is there? I helped a few former athletes of mine uh, transition and as I was doing that, um, realized that there needed to be more assistance for athlete in transition. I think part of that was the reason for creating Athlete Soul. I also felt that as an athlete, I was very, very lucky. Lucky to have a lot of doors and opportunities uh, come to me because of sport. Um, and I was able to uh, retire twice. I was able to work in the corporate world uh, for a great company and I just feel that I just felt like more athletes can benefit from that if only they knew you know that's available and how to access that and so I feel like part of it is is you know having former athletes and helping them but part of it was also my own experience in thinking you know athletes are fantastic individual early on in their life they've achieved already so much and so how can we take advantage of this as a society and plug them back into the marketplace in great position where they can contribute all those skills they've learned i think it's just underutilized we a hundred percent agree here at her next play and you know, we're, we're, we are focused even more specifically on women, but I'd love to hear since you work with so many athletes that are making that transition, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges when you, when you talk and work with athletes, you know, what are some of the themes that, that make that transition hard and the challenges they have to work through? Um, I think the first one is, 
the situation of their retirement, you know, whether they choose it or not, whether it's injury based or not, and what's their environment like around them? Were they able to develop outside of sport? Were they able to continue their education? Do they have a strong support system? Is their family capable and available to help them out through the transition? So I think all of that is very important um, and will impact how they transition out of sport. Uh, regardless, I think every athlete will struggle with identity challenges, um, identity, sometimes identity crisis, and the little death of you know, losing part of what you've built up for so long. So at Her Next Play, we are focused specifically on female athletes and a lot of athletes that we work with really want to go into the sports industry and the sports sector. Um, and women continue to be just vastly underrepresented in leadership positions in that sector. So um, I'd love to hear from your perspective as a woman. It sounds like you are CEO of USA Synchronized Swimming for a while um, and involved in different aspects of the sports industry um, as part of your career. So what has been your experience as a woman leader within the sports sector and what can we be doing to help encourage more women to, to rise through the ranks and, and lead in that sector? My experience is often being the only one. Um, and interestingly, you know, I work in the hotel industry, which is also a male-oriented industry before going back into sport. Uh, but I think the higher you go into the hierarchy, uh, the more male it is. Um, so yeah, my experience was mostly, you know, being the the, the only female. Um, and I think in the sport industry, this is also due to the fact that this is, you know, sport is the origin of the old boy school, you know, the old boy <laughs> club, basically, right? Sport was at, at its origin for male only, if you look at history. Um, and it was created kind of with a segregation of women where, you know, the locker room was male only, the country club was male only, the boxes where you bring your client at the stadium is often male only. So I think inherently there is a discrepancy, you know, between how many male and female you have in this industry. Right. Um, so I think that doesn't, you know, it doesn't help. Uh, a lot of history to overcome. A lot of history to overcome. A lot of perception goes with that. Um, I think there is this assumption that perhaps women are not as interested in sport, not as knowledgeable about it. Um, and also often they don't necessarily fit the profile or the idea or the perception that we have about certain position that requires strengths and power. And this was really interesting because we've started doing a lot of conversation with other female athletes on how can we break those barriers. And one was, let's talk about different attributes. In the sport industry, we keep talking about strength and power, and it seems to be, you know, those are very male-oriented attributes. Can we talk about other qualities, other traits that are more gender-neutral so that it helps, you know, sort of level, level the field? Um, 
and not only bring more women into the workplace in the sport industry, but also bring more women in the stands and in watching sports. Right. Well, it's really interesting because if you look at the data, I mean, huge numbers of women are very big sports fans and make up a large percentage of both, you know, stands or fans that are in seats um, when, when we used to be able to go to stadiums, but also fans that are watching on TV as well. And I think they're just so underserved a lot of times because leadership for a lot of the professional sports is so male dominated that I think they miss um, the fact that so many women are fans and, and fans that want to buy jerseys and, you know, want to engage, but maybe a little bit differently than sometimes male fans. So I think there's a huge opportunity out there. Um, and hopefully that will be part of the business case for just having more perspectives, um, in sports leadership so that you are really connecting with, with all the different, uh, types of fans. Absolutely. And, and I'm hoping that the increased flexibility in, in just, you know, work-life balance and working from home will help a lot of women and ladies continue to be more involved in sport because I think the, the natural way of dealing with home life, you know, often forces women to have a, a double schedule between uh, home life and, and work life. And so being able to work from home hopefully will help Ladies, I'm not sure that's the case right now. <laughs> right now, it's yeah. pretty overwhelming for women. I think with so many kids home from school, if you're a working mom, that's right. But I do, I do have hope. I mean, I think we have learned that we can work remotely and work flexibly in a totally different way. So longer term, I really have a lot of optimism that that will help on the flexibility front for, for men and for women. Um, so given your own success, it seems like you have such a great story and we're able to kind of intertwine both thinking about and developing your education and career and competing at the highest levels as an athlete. So at Her Next Play, we work with a lot of college athletes that are kind of looking ahead to what's next when they graduate. What advice do you have for athletes as they start to think about their careers? Think about it but earlier. <laughs> it's got us taught before college. Um, there are many different ways to gain insight experience before you even in college um, and to open your horizon about the different opportunities that are out there or the different careers. Um, so being creative in, in that sense. And I think in those times of pandemic, being creative in the type of volunteer experiences that you can have or the people that you can connect with and really be proactive and go out there and, and try to connect and talk to as many people as possible before you leave college. Um, it's too late to start thinking about it, you know, in April when you're graduating in May. It's got to start before that. And the earlier you can get some experiences and talk to people, the faster you will eliminate the things you don't want to do. And that takes some time. Because we often forget that on the way to your dream jobs, there's a number of jobs that you have eliminated before. And just like you did as a kid in sport, right? You eliminate slowly the things you don't like. <laughs> I think it's the same in the business career. And so, yeah, the earlier you can eliminate what you don't like and get a better understanding of what you're getting into, um, the better it will be for the transition. 
Yeah, no, I think I was thinking about the same comparison because a lot of times it seems like people have something in their their head, like I want to be a lawyer and they think that's what they're shooting for, but they've never get any experience and they may misunderstand what it's really like to be a lawyer. So it's almost like, you know, saying I want to play college volleyball, but never picking up a volleyball until you show up at the college campus. But who would do that? You really need to try things out to know if you like them and if you're a good fit and if you have the skill set. So that's great advice. So when you look ahead, what's next for Athlete Soul? Um, so we're working on a project on women in sport. Um, so that's part of what's coming in the in the new year. We're also creating a, a free course that we're going to be sharing with a lot of sporting organization and university, specifically on transitioning from sport and how to better prepare for the transition. Um, so I'd say those, those two are, are two main focus for the next few months. Fabulous. All right. So we have a rapid fire question portion that we end our podcast on. So I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions and, and then we'll wrap things up. So what is your not including synchronized swimming favorite Olympic sport to watch? Oh, to watch. Oh, you're making me choose on this. Uh, probably gymnastic or track. What's the best sporting event you've ever been a part of or attended? So the diving event at the 2008 Olympic Games, um, an Australian diver uh, beat the Chinese uh, for the first time in a long time in the 10-meter platform dive. And I was there to watch it. Fantastic. Who is your favorite female athlete? Um, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I'll say Elise and Felix probably. Got it. All right. And if you weren't an Olympic synchronized swimmer, what Olympic sport would you compete in? Skiing. All right. So to wrap things up at Her Next Play, we're all about giving visibility to women leaders. Who is a woman leader who is inspiring you right now? Camilla Harris. Love it. All right. So Miriam, thank you so much for being on the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our booster club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.